All right, we're going to receive the offering we'll give to the Lord uh, tonight. And we appreciate your... Is everybody warm enough? It was a little bit cool this morning, wasn't it? Uh, Because we had been... We had just been giving that a boost on Sunday mornings up till now for about an hour before you come in. And again, this tonight to the Old Testament, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We'll get to reading in a moment or two. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now in this story, at this point, particularly in King David's life, uh, he was at a very low ebb. Uh, The tide of events had cruelly turned against him. And just when he thought that perhaps things couldn't possibly get worse, they did. Now here's what had been happening. About ten or so years prior to this, Uh, Samuel the prophet had anointed him to be king over Israel in Saul's place. I remember that David as a lad was a harpist for Saul. And later on he slew Goliath of Gath. And after that great battle, Anephas Daman, when he killed Goliath, whenever the troops returned, the woman had made up a great song. Saul has slain his thousands but David has ten thousands. And each time they sang that, David has slain his ten thousands. From that moment on, the Bible says that Saul eyed David. Uh, Not only was he jealous, but he felt threatened and insecure. That jealousy that he felt in his heart began to grow to the point where On at least two occasions, he tried to kill David with a javelin. In a fit of rage, he threw it at him, trying to pin him to the wall. And so David then went into exile uh, to save his life. And he went into exile with a small band of warriors. These would be men that would be faithful to David. Unfortunately, he removed himself to the land of the Philistines. Now the Philistine king there uh, was kind to him and offered him uh, to live in a little town called Ziglag. He and his small army and all of their wives and all of their children and all of their goods. And so for the next uh, 18 months or so, that's where they lived, in Ziglag. And after about a year and a half, Uh, the king of the Philistines decided that they were going to go to war against Israel. And David, maybe out of uh, some sense of obligation perhaps, decided that he and his small army would join the Philistines against Israel. Now that would have been an unmitigated disaster, both for David and Israel. However, the Philistine lords, the generals, Uh, thought otherwise. They didn't trust David. They felt that in the heat of battle that David would betray them and he would turn his forces against the Philistines. And so the king of the Philistines, having reconsidered that, decided against David and his band going with them 
to fight the Israelites. And so he sends David back to Ziglag. journey was three days. And when they got back to Ziglag, uh, just when David thought that things couldn't get any worse, they did. Because during that time they were away, the Amalekites, a raiding band of Amalekites, came to Ziglag and they burned it with fire and they took all of their goods and they took all of their wives and their children, although they didn't kill them, but they captured them and took them. And so David was absolutely devastated. His world collapsed around him. Far from home, distrusted by the Philistines, now his home is destroyed, his goods has been stolen, his wives, his children have been taken captive, and now his most trusted, loyal friends have turned against him and are actually threatening to stone him to death. So things has really got bad. So this is a back against the wall time. This is a clinging by your fingernails time. There was no knot at the end of this rope. There was no light at the end of this tunnel. The die was cast. The cards were dealt. The lot had fallen into the lap. What to do? What is he going to do now? Where do you go from here? Where is God in all of this? You ever been there? Ever been up a dead end street? Against a brick wall? On the ropes? Facing what seems an insurmountable obstacle? And so here's David. No friends. No family. No funds. No future. How could he possibly make sense out of all of this? It just seems to be one calamity after another, one blow after another. How much can one person take? Is there no end to this? Surely he must be at breaking point by now. This is a crossroads in this man's life. And it's absolutely crucial what he does at this point. Have you ever been to a crossroads? Have you ever been to a point where you knew what you were going to do next was absolutely crucial. Now he can do one of two things. He can walk away from God or he can run to God. He can walk away from God or he can run to God. Now you see, whenever you're not in that position that David was, it's a no-brainer. You run to God, Right? I mean, that's what you do. That's what we know to do. That's what we've been taught to do. That is what we ought to do. But when you're in those circumstances, as David was, when your back is against the wall, and it seems like everything has conspired against you, and it feels like that God even has deserted you. I mean, where is God in this? And so suddenly the obvious thing to do is not so obvious. It's no longer academic. Because now you've really got to decide. You're not on autopilot anymore. 
You don't say, well, I, I know I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I'm going to do. You've got to think about this because of the circumstances. Will I turn to God or will I turn away from God? And this is what it came to in David's life. This was a really low point. Didn't get much lower than this. Now verse 6 is a, is a key verse in the story. It says, verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But... David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Your version may say David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It's from the same root word. And so what it really is saying, it means that David made himself strong in the Lord his God. Now this was a choice and a decision that he had to make. He had to do it. He made himself strong in the Lord. How? How did he do this? How can we do this? How can we in crisis moments, how can we make ourselves strong in the Lord? How can we encourage ourselves in the Lord. I know that we know it academically. We all know what to do in the good times. But I'm talking in the bad times. When you don't feel like doing it. When it seems to be going against your whole flesh to do this. But David did it. He encouraged himself in the Lord. First thing he did was. He sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. He didn't act foolishly. He didn't act presumptuously. Even though the Bible says he was greatly distressed. No doubt he was perplexed. He was emotionally battered and bruised. He could have said and probably thought, Lord, you have failed me. Or he may have said, Lord, how and where have I failed you? Because in the crisis moment, these thoughts flash through our mind. He could have said, Lord, I didn't ask for Saul to hound me. I didn't ask for these Philistine hosts to turn against me. I didn't ask for my men wanting to stone me. I didn't ask for these Amalekites to come in and steal my wives and my children and everything that's dear to me. I didn't ask for any of this. In fact, I didn't even deserve any of this. What great sin have I done against you, God, that this calamity has befallen me? He could have thought those things and probably did. In fact, if you don't believe that, read some of his Psalms because he often talked about these things. He wasn't afraid to express himself and say what he felt at the time. And so in verses 7 and 8, he sought... The Lord his God. Look what it says, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. Remember we said this this morning. We're talking about the high priest garments. Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, 
Shall I pursue this trip? Shall I overtake them? And so David, in the midst of his devastation, in the midst of his pain and his hurt, and he's being perplexed and confused and wondering, and where is God in all of this? And why is this happening? He thought, I, I better seek the Lord. I, I better get an answer. I, I need to do something. I'm losing everything in my life. I'm losing. I need to do something. So he sends for the priest, for the ephod, so he could check. doesn't say there, but we know now, studying the high priest's garments, he was checking the Urim and Thumb. He was trying to discern the will and the purpose of God and what to do next in his life. And it's important for us to be able to do this and to know what to do. So he sought the Lord his God. Psalm 34 and 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 121, 120 verse 1. In my distress I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Psalm 130 verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto you, O Lord. Have you ever cried out of your depths? And not out of your head, but out of the depths of your belly, because you didn't know what to do, and nothing was clear or plain. Out of the depths have I cried unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications and so he did something that was vitally important didn't act presumptuously or unwisely he did the best thing possible he decided to seek the Lord his God most of us that's the last thing we do isn't it let's be honest mostly the last thing we do is turn to prayer isn't it We'll spend maybe weeks or days or months being angry and upset and confused and hurting and pain. And we'll do everything possible except seek the Lord. But at least he did this first. And because he did this first, things was about to change. And secondly, and we can do this also, secondly, he stood upon the promises. Ah, but, David, you may say, what if it seems like God's promises has failed me in the past? Well, stand upon them again. <laughs> Sorry to be so blunt about that. Stand upon them again. What have you got to lose? What is the alternative? David had nothing more to lose. That which was dearest and most precious to him was gone. And so he sought the Lord. And as he sought the Lord, it says, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this trip? Shall I overtake them? You say, Well, would that not be the obvious thing to do? Well, obvious thing to do in the good times is easy to figure out. It's in the bad times it's not so obvious. Because all this stuff has happened in a sense behind his back when he was away for three days. So what's to say if he goes after these Amalekites that he not get defeated? 
that it not get routed, that he himself will not get killed or taken prisoner. Because, I mean, everything's going badly down the hill this, up to this point, isn't it? So it's just not so obvious, is it? This is why he's seeking the Lord. Shall I pursue after this trip? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Ah, <laughs> what a promise. Without fail recover all. Some wonderful promises in Scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, just pick a few out here. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite or a humble spirit. 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. 22. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Psalm 37, verse 18 and 19. Sorry, verse 7, first of all. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Verse 18, 19. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. And in that lovely scripture in Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. Dr. Storms of Ontario spent a vast amount of time studying the promises of Scripture. And writing in Contact magazine, 
He said, the Holy Scriptures contain a grand total of 8,810 promises. How do I know this? I counted every one of them. <laughs> and then he talks about how the promises are broken down. Sometimes it's just between two individuals. But here's the important thing. He says, there are 7,487 promises from God to man. 85% of all the Bible's promises are from God to man. Can we not pick out even just one out of all of those promises in His Word that would be apropos to our situation? I think that we could. I think if we seek the Lord, I think if we look to Him and look to His Word, I think there's a promise there for us. Amen. And then thirdly, he sought the Lord. He stood on the promises. He got the word to go. Then he took back everything the devil had stole from him. That's good, isn't it? Verse 9 of chapter 30. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. And he came to the brook Bezor. Those who stayed, those where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezar. Then they found an Egyptian in the field. They brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. They let him drink water. They gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? The man said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Carathites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this trip. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small nor great sons nor daughters, spoil nor anything that they had taken from them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before those other livestock, and he said, this is David's spoil. Glory to God, there's the icing on the cake. <laughs> Do we believe that we can recover all the enemy has stolen from us? Because he is a thief. Jesus said he was a thief, didn't he? He says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I wonder has the thief stolen from you? Maybe stolen your peace of heart. Maybe you find yourself being very, very anxious. Worried fretful, scared maybe. Maybe you look into your future and you wonder what is going to happen. 
Maybe he's stolen the joy of your salvation. You know, he can steal that from you. But you can get it back, thank God. You can recover it. It's lovely when you're a believer, when you appreciate and in your heart you're thankful and grateful for the mercies of God and it's a delight to you. It's wonderful. But you can lose that sense of joy. Stuff happens. Things happen to your life that you never look for or expect it, but it happens. It's life. And for a while, you just lose the joy of your salvation. You, you know it. You know it. Because you, you've had it for years, and you're brought up in it, and you know it from the Scriptures. But experientially, you're not experiencing it anymore. You're not experiencing the joy of the Lord in your heart. You forget how good it is to be saved and know the Lord and be saved from your sins, and you're on your way to heaven, and you love the house of God and the worship and praise unto God. You love all of that, but you can lose that sense of it enemy can steal that from us. Maybe your finances has taken a bit of a bashing. You tried to be careful. You've done everything you know to do. You thought your job was safe and it wasn't. You thought you had done everything that was possible to do but it doesn't look too good at the moment. Things are shaky. Your security seems to have been eaten away. What about your strength? Maybe you feel a bit weary. I don't mean physically now, I mean spiritually. You feel a bit weary and tired and your get up and go has got up and gone and, and you know and you know what I'm talking about. We've all been there, we know what that feels like. Well it's time that we took back what the devil has stole from us. We've got the promises of God. We've got his word on it. But it's something we have got to do. David had to go with his men. Some of them were too tired and weary and had to stay behind. If you read on that story, you'd see that when he got all those spoils and he went to split them up when they come back, the ones who went didn't want to give the ones who stayed behind. The ones who fought in the heat of the battle didn't want to help those who was too tired and weary. But... Sometimes we're in that bunch that stayed behind. We're just too tired and weary to fight. And it seems like it. But thank God some did go and some did fight. And they recovered all and they shared it. And sometimes we need a little bit of help, don't we? Sometimes we need others to pray for us. And to encourage us and hold us up in prayer in those times, don't we? So he took back everything. David recovered all. The Amalekites is stolen. The final thing I want to say is this. He saw the tide turned in his circumstances. See, if you read the next chapter, which we want, you'd find out that Saul, who was hounding him, it's the reason why he was in exile, living among the Philistines, you'd find out that Saul was killed in Mount Gilboa in a battle against the Philistines. And of course, David's great friend, Saul's son, Jonathan, was killed in that battle also. But this was a turning point for David. All of this was a crucial, pivotal turning point in his life. He had recovered all, 
And then soon after that, he had heard that Saul, who had hounded him and driven him into exile, was killed. And even though he respected Saul, and even though he honored him as, as, as the Lord's anointed, and even though he did all of that, but it was a turning point for his own life. Because after that, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, you'll see that he inquires of the Lord, should he go back to Judea? And the Lord says yes. And he goes back. And there he is anointed and crowned king over all Judea. Hmm. Where he should have been ten years ago. But for Saul. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this is because at some point or other the tide will turn. But you've got to believe that. The tide will turn. David had his breakthrough. David got his victory. When nothing less than victory would do, thank God he got it. And the tide began to turn. Sometimes it takes a while for the tide to turn. Whenever God told Joshua to get those people to march around Jericho's walls, he said, I want you to do it once a day for six days, and then the seventh day I want you to do it seven times. Thirteen times they had to march around those walls. That tested their mettle. Thirteen times. Nothing changed the first time, or the third, or the fifth, or the seventh, or the ninth, or the eleventh time. Absolutely nothing changed on the twelfth time. Nothing. Still the same. But on the thirteenth time, everything changed. Everything changed. And the walls fell down, and they got a great victory. And he took that fortress city for God. The man lay at the pool for 38 years. 13,870 days. That's a long time, isn't it? 38 years. And every single day of those 38 years, nothing changed. He must have had immense patience. Nothing changed. Every day he went to that pool, nothing changed. And he complained. And he says, when the waters are stirred, I have nobody to put me in. Nothing's changing. For 13,869 days, every day was the same as the day before. But in the 13,870th day, everything changed. Jesus came and everything changed. And his life would never be the same. The tide turns in our circumstances. The little woman who was bowed over for 18 years and could in no ways lift herself up, 18 years bent double until Jesus came. And in an instant, the tide turned. The little woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, every day, she got worse than the day before. Suffered many things of many physicians. Spent all that she had until that one day when Jesus passed by and she touched the hem of his garment and everything changed. All her circumstances in that one moment turned. 
And that's the way that it can be for us. Our circumstances will change. The tide will turn. But we've got to be faithful. We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to stand upon his promises. We've got to fight. Sometimes we've got to go to war and go to battle and fight. And then we see the tide turned in our circumstances. Charles Stanley, a great old preacher of old in America, he'd write little poems from time to time. Here's one called Keeping On. Keeping On, it's called. I dreamed many dreams that never came true. I seen them vanish at dawn. But I realized enough of my dreams, thank God, to make me want to dream on. I prayed many prayers when no answer came. I waited patiently long, but answers have come to enough of my prayers to make me keep praying on. <laughs> I've trusted many a friend who failed and left me to weep alone. But I found enough of my friend's true blue to make me keep trusting on. I've sown many seeds that fell by the way for the birds to feed upon. But I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to make me keep sowing on. I've drained the cup of disappointment and pain. I've gone many days without song. But I've sipped enough nectar from the rose of life to make me want to live on. <laughs> the tide will turn in your life. Don't know who wrote it, but it's one of the most famous poems. It's called Winners Never Quit. I wish I knew who wrote this. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're treading seems all uphill, when friends are far and problems nigh, and you want to smile, but you only sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but never quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. So don't give up if the pace seems slow. You might succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to a golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the cloud of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It is nearest when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Because the tide will turn in your circumstances too. Well, nothing less than victory will do. Seek the Lord. Stand on his promises. Fight the enemy. Take back everything he stole from you. And see your circumstances turning. Amen. Stand with me.